0: You're listening to Fly By Night, a podcast by FedEx Pilots for FedEx Pilots. Brought to you by the FedEx Master Executive Council of the Airline Pilots Association. And now, here's your host, MEC Communications Chair, Captain Chris Lee. My guest today is
1: Scheduling Committee Chair, Captain Marty Harrington. Thanks for coming, Marty. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. This week is the November Build Week for the PSIT. Talk to the pilots about how that's going and how it might be
0: different since November marks the beginning of peak. Peak is always a unique couple of months. Right now, for November, different. We're going to have some base airport standbys put in during Thanksgiving week. We have increased the amount of flying. International peak starts a little early as corporations want to fill their warehouses for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And last year in the SIG notes, I said this is the least peakiest peak. I've ever seen at FedEx. We were still working through the COVID amount of freight, and almost all the bid packs were still at all-time highs. And once Christmas came around and peak came around, we kind of stayed at that level. There wasn't much more to increase during last year's peak. This year we've come down, And typically the two airplanes, the Airbus and the 75 pick up the most slack because they don't fly as much as the other airplanes. So we'll see across the board increases in credit and block. And November's usually just a slight uptick. Uh, We've seen even more of an uptick this November and I expect December to be a more normal peak season than we've had during COVID. So for November... Not much really has changed. We've added some flying and the base hotel standbys, like I mentioned, but outside of that, there hasn't been that much system form for November.
1: Well, can you talk to the pilots some about the specifics of what the PSIT has been
0: working on this week? Sure. We still have our dispute meeting during build week where there are a number of pairings that we look at and address. One of them was the Istanbul pairing for the Memphis 7-6 and the company... Optimize those pairings, mixing them with Dublin, and we went into the dispute meeting. We were considering traditional disputing these pairings. We made our case, and typically how it goes is a back and forth. We state our case on why we think these pairings should be changed, and the company states their case why they should not be changed. 25BB, again, outlines how we fight. We fight for the pilots on the pilot side, quality of life, commutability, all those issues. The company argues over reliability, efficiency, and all those things on their side. So we went in there and said, yeah, we'd like these to go back to the traditional form that they had. They mixed two pairings together, and they were an issue perhaps with fatigue. We had the fatigue risk guys look at the pairings as well. And they suggested that we break the longer leg up. And then we went to company SIG and said, not only that, we'd like to go back to the way it was the previous month. And our argument was, this pairing is one of the most senior pairings in the 7-6. We pulled up who bid it last month. And out of the 500 or so pilots, this is probably one of the number one senior pairings. So if we mix that, make it much more efficient, we're losing quality life. And so half the pairings will be changed for this month, but go back to next month. They'll be back to the original form that they were. So we're happy we're going to get the Istanbul pairings back to their original form starting next month. You can take a look at them. Half of them will be a little bit longer this month, all back to the original form next month. We had another pairing that popped up, and this was in conjunction with FRMG, was... uh, Our Bogota-PTY pairing, it happened once, and it was the day after Thanksgiving. And both our side, SIG, and Fatigue Risk requested a change to the pairing. They went to airline scheduling and said, if it's possible to push this sequence back two hours. So instead of a middle-of-the-night show... It's now beginning in the daytime, early in the daytime. So those two extra hours gets the pilot two more hours of sleep. And I think the system worked with all of us acting together, coordinating to get a pairing fixed. And that was another win we had this week.
1: In last month's podcast, you talked about your upcoming SIG quarterly meeting. Since that meeting has taken place, what can you tell the pilots about it?
0: So the SIG quarterly, we have a number of people from across the corporation and management. We have global network planning, crew resources planning, we have GOC, CRS, acquisitions, and charters, and they all are at the meeting. So our goal in the meeting is to kind of get a feel for where the company is going over the next couple months, possibly years, with airplanes, staffing, what new routings are coming in, what type of expansion are we having, or contraction. The takeaways I took from this meeting were the MD-11, they pushed back retiring some of the MD-11s. And right now they're parking 12 MD-11s will come offline starting in January. They delayed parking some of them for this peak. But 12 is a big number for wide-body airplanes parking in one month. The MD-11 bid packs are already at lows for BLGs. Now, again, November, everything popped up about two hours across the board in average BLGs. And come January, we expect probably just MD-11 and Airbus to take declines again in average BLGs. We have about 50 pilots on track to retire at the end of this year. But again, only a dozen of those are hitting 65. Of those 30-plus to 40 more pilots, they could decide to stay on, and then we wouldn't see that decrease in uh, the number of line pilots. So I'm not sure where January's going to go. I do know November and December are still looking really positive for the corporation. In discussions with management, they are on track, and they want to get rid of the MD-11 aircraft. May of 2028, allegedly, is the last day that the airplanes are going to be flying here. And that's an aggressive schedule to get rid of all those planes that we have. I believe after the 12 that we lose in January, we'll have about three dozen. So literally, you're talking about another dozen every year. They also have to train all those MD-11 pilots out. So it's an aggressive schedule. And we'll see if they can execute. But the company looks at the triple seven, seven76 more fuel efficient, less maintenance cost. And that is part of their drive initiative. They want to move those airplanes, move the MD-11s off, bring on the the 777s and the seven sixes. And going forward, it's going to be tough to execute, I think. Uh, We'll see if they can execute that training plan. The other item they mentioned is that we're getting a new 777 simulator mid-next year. Right now, they can train 12 777 crews in a month, and that would increase the training up to 16 in a month. So they're going to need that training allotment to actually get through the training that's coming up. We still have plenty of slots from the previous bid, and right now they have no pilot bid in the future, in the short term. The imbalances are small. When I say imbalances, talk about staffing. Typically, you'll see, yeah, as an expansion or contraction, we need to put pilots into certain seat. And right now, they can handle with the staffing they have. The first potential imbalance, major imbalance I see, is when they park these MD-11s starting in January. The MD-11s are still a bit overstaffed, and when 12 airplanes go away, it's going to make it even exacerbate the situation.
1: Is there anything else that happened at the SIG quarterly meeting you want to talk to the pilots about?
0: Yeah, We had a discussion with the manager from Crew Resource Scheduling. A couple of months ago, scheduling has changed how they historically are assigning R-24s. Uh, In the previous podcast, we talked about the provisions in the contract, 25G, 25M, and the release criteria you required for R24s. In discussion with a lot of people in my department, I talked to a number of other pilots, too, and coordinated with contract enforcement. We do not believe that they are adhering to the contract in these assignments, so I asked the manager of CRS, I said, we're going to PEAK. This is our most important two months of the year. And ALPA disagrees with the application of assignments here. And I asked if he would delay or go back to historical assignments for R24s for PEAK. And he politely declined. So... Those assignments will continue. If you have any issue with the R24 early assignments, if they're assigning ahead of time, if you have an issue being released, if you have an issue with how they are assigning the even the base airport standbys, contract enforcement is, will take all that information. And please submit a DART, and we will add that to our ongoing inquiry into how they're applying 25G, 25M assignments.
1: You also recently
0: had the FRMG,
1: Fatigue Risk Management Group, quarterly meeting. What can you tell the pilots about that
0: meeting? Yeah, it's run by Rob and Dave Bassett on the union side in conjunction with their counterparts on the company, and we discussed two of our ongoing FERC disputes. We still have disputed pairings, and they filter into two categories. One, we call it a traditional dispute. And the other, we call it a FERC dispute, or Fatigue Event Review Committee. So traditional disputes we've used over time, it's when fatigue is not the sole factor for the dispute. And probably the biggest dispute we had was a number of years when they began the Sunrise Sort, and we disputed, traditionally disputed, over 90 pairings that month. And it goes down that path, and we either come to a resolution or we hold the pairings out of lines and we inform the pilots on why we think this should be disputed. So every month, we have some disputes, and we send these pairings to the FERC. The FERC will do data collection on these pairings, and they will analyze over time. They need at least 20 data sets to make an objective analysis, and they're coming to the end of two of their FERC reviews on 777 pairings. And I hope we can get a positive outcome, at least to change or alter how we build the pairings so we can reduce the fatigue risk on those sequences.
1: How does the data collection process work for the pilots,
0: and how are they notified? Pilots will get an email prior to a flight and say, hey, will you enter into data analysis for us? I think they pay a couple hundred dollars if they're willing to do it. They have to wear an actigraph perhaps a week ahead of time to get a baseline for the pilot. But that data goes into helping us evaluate fatigue and make positive corrections in the future. We had an update on the sleep rooms. Oakland is just about finished. I know it's a long time coming. They had some delays in those sleep rooms, but I I believe the Oakland pilots and the other pilots that transit that base will appreciate those sleep rooms. So they should be done. And we're hoping by peak this year.
1: The scheduling committee has created and published a series of articles that are very popular with the pilots called Scheduling Matters. Can you talk to the pilots some about that?
0: Yeah, we have a number of PDFs on the ALPA website. And I would suggest every pilot here, download those onto your iPad. So if you're bored on a flight sometime, look through and see the information that's there. We get a lot of questions on pay in scheduling, and we don't know pay very well. But we did investigate how we're paid and different aspects of that. There's a number of articles in there. BKO is TKO. A lot of questions about pay have come up recently. And in the 777 bid pack, they get paid a lot of extra hours on block over eight and block over 10. The block over between eight and 10 is not in the pairing. The hours above 10 are added to the pairing. So as you can see, we can build lines higher in the 777 than we can in another bid pack because the block over 10 is incorporated into that pairing. But the uncalculated is the block over 8. So anything between 8 and 10 gets paid after you actually operate the trip. And we took a look at the Anchorage 777 pairings and I would say it's worth roughly $50 credit hour more in that bid pack with block over 8 over their entire bid pack. Now, Block over 8 Block Over 10 was designed years ago because our trips are different than other airlines. We don't do out and backs. We don't do, we're not primarily a hard-time trip airline. So it adds those hours to pilots that actually fly the line. And reserve guys won't get the number. If you're pay-only, you're not getting the block over eight, block over 10. But they wanted to emphasize guys that are actually flying the trips are getting those extra credit hours. And if you want to know how much those credit hours are, you take a look at some of the 777 pairings. Anything between 8 and 10 is added. Anything over 10 is added into the pairing. There's also a series of articles on vacation, how to maximize your vacation. One for regular lines, one for secondary lines, and one for reserve lines. Vacation sometimes is tricky. Everyone here has screwed it up at one point in time and they didn't get the trip removed or they did that they wanted to. Buffers come into play. And Ted Donat has redone all these scheduling matters and explains how to maximize those type of things. And pay also, if you're going into training, how to maximize your pay as you bid into training, when you're in training, and as you're coming out of training, and how those lines will be incorporated at the end of training. Something I usually miss every month. There's uh, was one of my suggestions that Ted drew up was the bid period QRH. Uh, it's a flow chart for following all the windows that we have, starting with when the bid closes. So the bid closes, you have conflict window, you have the view ad window, and typically I'll miss the view ad window. I've missed it a number of times, and the view ad window is gold for junior pilots. If you have hours for view ad. You can go and look at all those trips that are in open time and start bidding on those prior to the secondary lines being constructed. Also, something that I miss consistently is the window for, if you have a secondary, I think most people would think, well, the conflict and view ad don't have anything to do with me. But there are two manipulations to vacation you can use with a secondary. One is the amount of hours in your vacation you can use towards your secondary. And then once the secondary working window opens up, you can manipulate the number of days you want. You can shrink that footprint down to zero if you wanted to, if you actually wanted to. So you have hours and days, the footprint. And if you have a secondary, you're not thinking about the hours. You can actually ask for more hours than your vacation. And in that month, if another pilot says, hey, I want less hours in my secondary line, the company is required to grant those hours in excess of what your actual vacation week would be. So there's a lot of things incorporated in those scheduling matters articles. Uh, It's important for everyone here to bid and maximize their pay every single month. And I would suggest download them to your iPad and check them out.
1: And if you find yourself being one of these pilots who misses scheduling windows, Sign up for TextCaster to start receiving text alert reminders and emails, if you choose, for these various scheduling windows. Well, Marty, are there any emails or questions you've received lately you'd like to talk about?
0: So a couple of emails we got this month. One was a discussion about TOCO, top-of-climb optimization. TOCO started a number of years ago. There was an FCIF about it, and we got an email on a pilot that said uh, the flight was scheduled for seven thirty-five. Had a cost index of 150, no RFO assigned for the flight. Once we leveled off, we received an a cars of TOCO and the actual block time increased to 753. We had another email from another pilot where they were dinged with a TOCO. They slowed down and they actually exceeded eight hours of block time. So in the SIG notes, I'm going to put a link. I found a whole explanation of TOCO on the company website. TOCO is to be used only if you look like you are going to get to your destination ahead of the schedule. So, if you have some tailwinds, day of flight, that sort of thing, you'll get the ding from the dispatcher. And we had a discussion with GOC about these incidents that I just talked about. And he said, TOCO is a discussion, it's not you shall do this. There's also a couple of comments in the FOM that talks about. If your flight is extended or changed, this is a discussion you have with the dispatcher. If you're uncomfortable going to zero cost index, then you should talk to your dispatcher. And tell them that fatigue is a part of FedEx. And if you have a, you scheduled for 7:35, you don't have an RFO, and they hit you with TOCO, and maybe you know you have some weather further down, or your FO didn't get a good night's sleep that night, either contact your dispatcher and say, I'd rather not. I'd rather leave it at the cost index of 150. This is not a mandatory. It is a discussion between the captain and the dispatcher.
1: Well, this is the third podcast now you've done in a row during build week. Talk some about the feedback you've been receiving.
0: Yeah, I've had some great feedback. And initially, I didn't think there'd be enough information to put out on a month to month. But as every month goes by, there is information I'd like to put out. And I've come in here twice in a row and I ramble for approximately an hour and you have taken my incoherent ramblings and put it into a relevant podcast. So I appreciate that. I try to make these podcasts factual, not editorial, but you said, yeah, maybe some editorial is good when you have these discussions with pilots about pairings or. I think pilots like to get a peek behind the curtain.
1: And I think that's where it's important.
0: Yeah, I'm happy to let the pilots know. Like I said, since it's been well-received, the podcast, if we have enough information, we have more information to put out every month, I'll be in here every month. Again, December is going to be a completely different animal, and I think uh, there's a lot to discuss prior to going into Peak. During my podcast with the block reps, I would have a my ongoing series of why I hate secondary lines. And... There's a lot of issues with secondaries. We're still dealing with secondary lines. That program is as old as I am. It's been here forever. We are working on an update. And so next month, I'd like to bring in my secondary line replacement working group representative, Mike Davidson. He can answer a lot of questions on where we're at with the replacement software. Uh, That SLG LOA is in the back of the 2015 CBA and we've been following it. However, we've been a little frustrated at the pace that we've received with the company. But yeah, I'd love to talk about that as well going forward. Another behind the scenes tidbit. When we build lines, we try and build out every single pairing that we can. And many times due to contractual or pairing design, there's pairings left in open time. Our goal is to have nothing left in open time Another issue we're having this month, I forgot to mention, is a problem with the Anchorage 777 bid pack. The beginning of this year, we started getting more and more legs up there. That base is there because the company wants to not have to deadhead pilots up to Anchorage. It's 2 leg deadhead. It's a long deadhead. So the pilots are up there to start trips. But a year ago, maybe, maybe a lot longer than that, a year and a half ago, two years ago, a pilot would look at the Anchorage 777 bid pack and say, yeah, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to bid it, and they bid it, and they got up there. Or new hires were saying, yeah, we have a slot in 777 Anchorage. This is where you're going to start out your career. So the problem we've come into is that a year ago, those lines were commutable, single departure, two departure lines primarily. This year, we started getting more and more shorter pairings in that bid pack, and our Anchorage 777 was frustrated. They know approximately 80% of the first officers are commuting. And then with these smaller pieces, we were unable to build. It would have had to been a five-departure line, and we don't want to build five departure lines, meaning if a guy's commuting up to Anchorage, he's going to spend his entire month up there for that month. So we go to the company and we say, look, quality of life is a thing. We want some commutability up in Anchorage. Pilots that bid it or were assigned that as new hires. They can't commute now. And the company agreed. So we put an effort into it and we got the pairings up in Anchorage to where we could build a bid pack that was commutable. The other issue with it for the company and the pilots is that efficient pairings sometimes don't make efficient lines. So these efficient pairings on paper, they cost less to produce, are building five departure lines, four departure lines. Well, A pilot that has a four or five departure line on his week, he doesn't have a week off. He's working every two, three, four days. He gets a block of four days off, and then he's on another trip. So he doesn't have any opportunity to pick up any trips in the middle of those other trips. He is less likely to pick up a draft or volunteer trip. And efficient pairings do not create efficient lines. And if you have an opportunity for extra work, then possibly you would do that. But uh, again, we thought it was putting an undue onus on these commuters in the first officer seat up in Anchorage 777. So we fixed it. We had three months during the summer where the pairings were great. The other factor in that is when we had all these short pairings, Anchorage was leaving upwards of 10% into open time. And I, I hate leaving pairings in open time after build week. I, like I said, I want to build a 0% open time. During the summer, they got those numbers back to six, seven, eight percent that they're leaving an open time that they couldn't build, and now we're. What happened in the past two months? We had the extra sections come in. We had the new vendor that we're shipping for, and it's primarily out of Guangzhou through Anchorage down to NLU, which is a city in Mexico. It's their new cargo uh, airport, and all those pieces are one legs Anchorage. To Asia, back to Anchorage. Anchorage to Oakland, which we've already had, but again, that's another small piece and back. Anchorage to NLU and back up to Anchorage. So all these little pairings are making it almost impossible to build commutable lines. This month, we're probably going to have an excess of 10% again, I don't know, 12%, 13 14% in open time, and that's not efficient for the company either. Then they get ported to secondaries, and uncommutable secondary lines are, are built. And their standards of line building in the secondary world, I'll say, are not our standards of line building in the PSIT. So we're working with the company, but it just takes
1: time. So it sounds like this month's build week, as far as the PSIT is concerned, went
0: pretty well. It was a good week. We got a lot of good fixes for the pilots. We got a lot of good changes. So I'm positive. You talk about predicting the future, which is always problematic. So if you say everything's looking great right now, that's my perspective. Everything right now is looking pretty good, fairly good. We're going into peak. Everything's going in the right direction. The number of line pilots is decreasing, and I'm optimistic. But I have to plan for the worst. I'm concerned about age 67. I'm concerned about the postal contract. I'm concerned about the economy. All those are headwinds for us next year. I'm happy with how we're ending the year, but I don't know what's going to happen in January, February, or March.
1: Well, thanks again, Marty, for coming in, especially during this month's Build Week. I know it's an extremely busy week for you and your team. As a reminder, if you have any scheduling questions you'd like Marty to answer in next month's podcast, please send them to us via email at fdxpodcastquestions at alpha.org. Thanks again for taking the time to listen to the podcast, and thanks for staying engaged. And as always, be safe out there, and we'll see you next time.